Hey, good people, this is Jerry and I down back with another reflection. And this is a personal journal for contemplative people looking to think, grow, and have impact in the world. So, hey, you guys, I have a lot of um, thoughts on my brain. Um, and I, I, I've, this is take two because I'm trying to find a central way of connecting these thoughts and I don't have it yet. So in take one, I named it, or I started off with motivation, desire, and passion. But that sounds too sexy, doesn't it? That sounds pretty provocative. And I don't have anything provocative to share, but that's a theme that's, that's an energy that's on me. Let me correct that. Motivation, desire, and passion is not on me, but it's not on me. There it is. It's not on me. I'm not feeling motivated. I'm not feeling desire, and I'm not feeling passion. <laughs> um, so I could talk about that, but I, when I started hitting, when I was talking in that recording, I didn't have anything to say. So I got six minutes in and I deleted it, which I don't do that often. So that was what I was trying to start off with. Motivation, desire, and passion. Only because I don't feel those things right now, but I don't have anything to talk about. So some other things that are on my mind would be um, racial racial reconciliation. Um, I've been thinking about the flipped flipped lifestyle. I've been thinking about MBTI groupings. And I'm thinking about getting away. Mainly you want to get away because I want to access the motivation, desire, and passion. So I think there's something underneath all of that, but I don't have the theme yet. So you're going to have to just listen to see where this reflection goes. I don't really know where it's going to go. Hopefully it goes better than, anyway, we'll see. But that's where I'm starting with. <laughs> I'm starting with, I'm not sure what the hell is happening. But uh, i got a number of things on my brain, and um, we'll see. If you're new to this project, this is a personal journal where I process my inner and my outer worlds. I do so by using personality theory. The two that I use the most are the Myers-Briggs and the Enneagram. Pushing those two systems together, I identify as an INTJ-8. I also identify as an African-American woman from a lower socioeconomic background and from intergenerational trauma. I'm a trained and practicing educator and social scientist of about 30 years, and half of that time has been in leadership. Politically, I lean into tenets of what I call critical race feminism, which basically means I have an intellectual sensitivity around um, power, social constructs of power, as located in race, class, gender, sexuality. Oh, the other thing that's been on my brain is classism. Classism, I forgot about that. Um, this project is unedited and is unscripted. To know more about it or me, feel free to go to my website at yournidom.wordpress.com. So, <clears throat> as I said at the start of the reflection, I'm not feeling motivated. I'm not feeling desire. And I'm not feeling passion. And 
I want to just name a few reasons why possibly. That's not true. I think I have a number of theories that I've been playing with as to why I'm not feeling those things. And maybe that's how they all connect. Huh. Motivationlessness. Desirelessness. Passionlessness. Hmm. Maybe I should (laughs) have, maybe I should have started that way. But anyway, I think the number of things that have been on my brain are related to my lack of motivation, desire, and passion. Oh, well, that's the end of the reflection. Talk to you guys later. I just figured it out. (laughs) Anyway, so let's just start off easy, okay? Let's just start off with some obvious ways why I may not be having the energy I desire. One, it's wintertime. Have we officially gotten into winter? I don't know when it started winter, but anyway... The days are short, the darkness is long, and it's cold. Now, where I live, it's about to get colder. January and February are a beast, so I try not to complain about it being cold in December because it's about to get beastie. But the flip side of it getting cold in January and February is that the days start getting longer. So the days are very short, it's a lot of darkness. And then you couple that with the cold. It's it's like, ugh. so I'm a person that likes to walk. Walk is very, um, I mean, spirit, it's spiritual for me. And usually I am motivated. And yeah, I'm motivated when I walk. I'm recharged. I usually have ideas. Now, I'm really pumped up when I get some good cardio in. But even if I don't get cardio in, like if I just walk, I I feel really recharged. It's spiritual for me. So I'm not getting that. Although I did get a couple of days in last week. And so I'm going to try to get up and go to the gym. So it's um 2.15 or 2.20 in the morning. Um, I'm going to try to get to go to the gym before I go to work. So that might help my my mood. But anyway, so I'm not getting the walk in. I'm not getting an... I used to walk daily, I mean, four miles daily. And so it's hard to get that time in um, at this in this time of the year when it gets dark early and it's cold. Um, I think the darkness doesn't help, right? I'm a sun person. I like the sun and I like to be underneath the sky. So even when I'm not walking, I have a nice... Um, porch. I sit out on the porch. I sleep out there. I be out there for hours. I love being under the sky. I don't have that right now. So I'm pretty sure that's impacting my mood. Um, It's interesting though. I didn't want to, I don't know if I said this already in take one or take two, but Last year, I was really um, focused on this time of the year. Like, I was like, I'm, I'm really afraid I'm going to get depressed. I lost my dad last fall, so I was just really worried about having getting depression with the darkness and the cold. And but I did pretty good last winter. And so I didn't expect to get low this winter. 
And in many ways, I don't feel low. I don't feel depressed. Like it feels cozy in my house. I think the last week, though, it's been feeling cozy. But maybe the last week, it's just too much. Because I was, like, going out to dinner with friends during the week. But I'm trying to watch my money, right? So you get you, when you go out to eat, you're spending money. And then, of course, my weight is just off the chart. So, anyway... So I'm going to try next week to make sure I get to the gym. Make sure I get out, the, you know, even if I just walk around the block, just to get under the sky, that might help. Um, I'll be going out of town soon, so that's great. Um, a road trip is always good for me to get under that sky. So yay. So I'm part of the, the I owe you guys some a number of reflections. I think I owe you about six after this one, before the end of the season. And um, that's going to happen usually when I'm out of town. Motivated. That road trip inspires me. And then I'm going to be with family. So I'm pretty sure there's going to be some drama to work through. But anyway, I'm sorry if my energy is low. You're probably like, this is boring. But you get, you're getting me? This is a real, real, real reflection. This is the energy that's on me right now. And so... Hopefully, you're, a few of you will be here for it. And if not, I'll catch you on the other side. <laughs> so, um, so I just think the weather, the time of the year, the weather and me not moving about is a significant part of the low energy. Um, I want to talk about the racial reconciliation, but that's going to, require uh, more effort than I want to give right now. So let me let me go somewhere else. Um, I want to talk about the flipped the flipped lifestyle. So in education this was called the flipped classroom which I really like this idea. I was doing a flipped classroom before it was called the flipped classroom. But in a ch- traditional classroom the teacher will give a lesson We'll introduce a topic, we'll model it, we'll give students a little bit of practice, but then they are given homework to do extended practice. Then they come back to the classroom to demonstrate what they learn, like in some kind of assessment. Well, in a flipped classroom, it's kind of reverse. You do the initial instruction at home. And then you come to school and you do extended, your extended practice in the classroom. And usually that extended practice will lead into some kind of performance assessment or, um, what's the, what's the other word? Authentic based assessments. So the, 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 the initial learning is at home. You might, have them watch a video. You might have them read text. But they come into the classroom and that's where they really practice it. Now, this whole homework thing is a big debate because a lot of people don't even do homework anymore. And I don't, I don't, I don't get down with that. Like, I love when my students, I, I run when I'm teaching. I set up my class where my students give themselves homework assignments. I don't give them homework. I said, this is what you have to do by the end of the week. This is due by Friday. 
And when I'm really pushing them and trying to push their uh, mature, their time management skills, teaching them how to regulate um, their objectives, I'll push it out for two weeks. And it takes them a minute to really get the rhythm of that, um, to own it. And I give them class time. So mainly we have that. So it's kind of like a flipped classroom because classroom, the class, they have all the time to do their work. And I do mini lessons. I call them meetings. I'm like, we're going to have a meeting in 15 minutes. And I try to keep the meetings about 10 to 12 minutes long, uh, particularly in middle school. And the meetings are usually based on a specific skill relating to the subject. And then they're pretty self-directed. And then they decide if they the, everything is due on Friday. And they decide if they have to give themselves homework. And it's empowering. It's, the homework is up to them. And so, there's that. Now, anyway, I don't want to go over. I was going to get off into how I really set that up and my design principles that I put into it. But anyway, that's not what we're here for. But that's that. That's the flip classroom. So for me, when I've been thinking about a flip life, I've been thinking about my cognitive stack. And I don't hear a lot of people in typology, the type communities talking about this, but I watched this video when I really started. In the last five years, I really got into cognitive functions. I've been into Myers-Briggs for about, well, 15 years. I want to say 20 it's 15 years. Well, let's see. No, it is almost 20 years. It's 18 years. Okay. Anyway, and um, about five years ago, I really, really got into cognitive functions. Maybe six, but you guys get the point. And um, I ran across this video where this lady was talking about living your life in the top of your stack. You're doing making most of your life decisions based on those top two functions. Don't give a lot of don't make decisions on those two lower functions. And at the time that made sense to me. I liked it. N I T E. And I think when you for me, this is why one of the reasons why I started this project, your N I Dom because although I'm an NI dumb, there's something I don't control. Because I was raised with sensors, I had no, I was disconnected from that dominant function. I had a disconnected, unhealthy relationship with something that was very core to me. And so this project was the second experiment, if you will, or initiative for me to undo all of that um, harmful learning that I had about my dominant function. Being raised about, around sensors, I had to mask that dominant side of me because it was viewed to be problematic. It was never affirmed. It was, I was never taught to understand it and embrace it. It was a core part of me, so I was really disconnected from the core part of myself. 
and I haven't talked about this in a long time, which is interesting. I'm going to bring it up today, but I'm going to bring it up. So when I first started this project, I told you guys I went through a really long season of depression. I mean, it was so long that I just thought I was a depressed person. I didn't call it a season. I just thought I was a depressed, sad person. And it started around, I would say, 24. And went into my, my, my mid-30s. Um, where it was intense. It was my early, it was intense. Let me put it, let me say it differently. It started at 24 until about 30. It was so intense. It was like dangerously intense. I'm not want to get into that now. It was dangerous though. So that was about six years, but for a long time, it was just like, my reality so then I would say my 30s it was it never got to be that intense because I had to fight to live during that time so I really was vigilant I'd never allowed myself to get I never allowed myself to go there so I looked for signs and just did a lot of regulating but I still was you know I would still be I'd get down and then I would say my 40s, I started making some real changes. And I don't want to get into that this reflection because that's all. That's not where I really want to go somewhere else in the reflection. But it is important for me to bring it up. My 40s, I started really learning me. I started making some changes in my friendships, and I want to say my values, but my I think my express values. My deep core values, I started living them. And interestingly enough, I had to discover those deep core values. That's weird. If they're deep in core, why would you have to discover them? Because they could be so pushed in. So pushed in. And so that's what happened in my 40s. And I would say about mid-40s, about 45, 46... I hit like a euphoria, not a, yeah, yeah, like, I want to say like a euphoria, like, I don't like euphoria, but I just hit this place, was like, it's like I had discovered something, joy, there it is, that's what I did, I discovered joy and peace, acceptance, clarity, and damn, those things felt really good. But because I had been sad for so long, I was like, this is just a season. If you're a woman or if you love a woman and you live with a woman, you know, like the whole monthly cycle, PMS, the cycle. And then I always tell people after the cycle, you have like this euphoria. That's why I don't like to use that word because it is like a euphoria. Like the world is great. Everything is wonderful. And so that wasn't what I had. I have peace. Real, real peace and joy. But because I had been in that darkness for so long, even though I wasn't in the dangerous side, the dangerous side of the darkness, I've been down for so long that when I found that peace, I thought it was momentary. I really did. 
But we're six years into that now. Could it be a cycle? Maybe. I'm always going to be mindful of that. But I really believe it was when I started being me. And this is it's coming together. This reflection is coming together, y'all. I'm feeling like some, some breakthroughs are happening in my head. So I hope I find the words for it. And I've talked about this before. This is a big deal. Like when I write my memoir, I'm going to write one. But I've been really thinking about who my audience is going to be for the memoir. And believe it or not, I don't want to write it for your average readers. I want to write it for people in the, either the spiritual community Psych community, scientific community, I don't know. I want to write it for people who are studied. Um, because I really want to come at that memoir through a lot of theory. And I don't want to feel pressure to not do it for the average reader who doesn't know theory. That's the way I want to write my memoir. It's my memoir, damn it. Damn it, I'm going to do it the way I want to do it. So I'm going to do it with theory. But anyway, I just went into a tangent. But one of the things that I really believe that happened is one of the one part of the memoir I'm going to talk about is shifting my friends. And sometimes I, it like, like now, I'll tell you, there are moments where I wonder, like, what would have happened had I not gone through that? So this is, this is the conundrum here. So in my 40s, when I shifted those friends, and of course, I didn't consciously or strategically say, I'm going to shift my friends. But what I did say was, I'm going to start living my values. And it wasn't easy at first. It was not. I don't know how I did it, to be honest with you. But daily, I just started coming to terms with who, what I deeply believe and who I want to be in the world and the experiences that I wanted to have. And, and the friends I had, I loved them. And here's what here's what really happened. Here's what happened. Let me tell the truth. My dad, granddad said, "Tell the truth and shame the devil." Here's what really happened. As I started to come into those values and those convictions about who I wanted to be, and because I loved my friends, I started challenging them. And there became this contest of right and wrong, and me trying to push, kind of like my agenda on them. I don't think it was in a gross way. I don't think they would say that. But they would say, I would, I changed. They kept saying, you're changing. This is different. You're different. And I remember feeling, I'm just being me. Because in the, in that time, I didn't really feel like I was changing. 
I felt like I was being honest in more of myself out loud. But I guess that's changing how when you were raised to be disconnected from your core self. And I started healing. And and they just those relationships couldn't last in the healed me. Those relationships were based off of me being disjointed and disconnected from myself, being repressed from my core values. When you think about it, it's so freaking odd. Like, how did I do that? But that's what those friendships were based on. And so I just, in my 40s, I just, I started pushing and challenging those friends. And and, I, and then I realized they didn't, they didn't flip the script. I did. Who am I to make them something different? I really come, had to come to peace with that. Which is hard. I miss them. I love them. And what I'd love now is to have a, a space where I could just periodically call and just say, thinking about you. And I could do that. There's one or two people I'm still upset with, though, right now. <laughs> but the other people, I was upset with them, too. Not to do what, uh, maybe that's, that's, that'll go in my book one by one why I was upset. But there was a time when I first started doing that, thinking about the memoir, that I was going to write a book just by these letters of the, everybody I was upset with. Like, why am I upset with all these people? And every chapter was going to be a letter to somebody I was upset with. And I realized I'm the common denominator. I'm the common denominator. And that's when I had to come to terms with, like, I just want to live out my my truth. I want to be authentically me. And these relationships don't allow that. And it's not their fault. It's not their fault. So, anyway, that was a rabbit hole. But, um... Yeah, I don't even know where I was at. Oh, I think I was talking about flip living. And this lady talked, I don't know how, that was a serious rabbit hole. <laughs> but anyway, this is going to go rewind. This lady was talking about living out your life through the front seat. And oh, that's where how I got in that rabbit hole. For me, really connecting to being an introverted, intuitive and an extroverted thinker, which is really interesting because in a couple of ways. So the introverted intuition, I was repressed from just because I was raised by sensors. It makes me a little quirky. Makes me not tethered to the physical world. So I'm not exacting. I'm not, I'm not in the physical space. I'm not focused on facts. And that makes me different from the world. I mean, okay. And I think as a thinker woman, thinker woman, I don't think women are allowed to be thinker women. There's a lot of YouTube content or um, internet content about when you are um, a thinker woman based on the Myers-Briggs, how problematic it is because the world expects you to be more feeling-oriented, social-oriented, 
um, and thinker women aren't that. And um, that was tough. And then I think as a black woman, particularly one who's degreed, who had a conversation with someone yesterday, um, I don't I don't talk about it in this uh, project a lot. You, I mention it. I have three degrees. I have a bachelor's, bachelor's, a master's, and a PhD. And I love the fact that I don't talk about it a lot in this project. I talk more about my Myers Briggs. I talk about race. Sometimes I talk about class. But those th- degrees. Coupled with the fact that I am an introverted, intuitive, extroverted thinker makes it very difficult to interact with non-thinking degreed people. Everybody thinks, so that didn't come out right. Non-analytical thinking people. (laughs) Non-analytical thinking people. Non-degree, non-degree, non-analytical thinking people. There it is. It makes it very tough, very difficult. So I think when I initially got into these cognitive functions, not even then, even before then, when I was just looking at the traits, I think starting in two thousand and sixteen, no. That's not true. 2014. Yep. You know what? It is not true. I would say 2009. 2009, I really just became really fascinated with the the self as it as relates to your internal wiring. I mean, I have been exposed to the Myers-Briggs and we look at it periodically, but I would say in 2009, it became a preoccupation. And then uh, around 2014, I started joining online communities with other like-minded people, supposedly, but it was annoying because a lot of younger people um INTJs, it was just annoying. But what I enjoyed about those communities, it, I I would get on those in those communities and and debate my ass off. I would just be I would be full on INTJ, and it wouldn't even be like um, it wouldn't even be debating. I would love to. Um, For I would only do this to INTJs. INTJs who thought they were like super rational and super smart. I enjoyed poking holes in their logic. I enjoyed it because I think you have I you had I, um, INTJs trying to function as INTPs or ENTJs. You don't even know who you are as an INTJ. But I used to find them in annoying. But then when I needed to let off steam, like go into one of those INTJ groups and flex your muscles. <laughs> I know, it was immature. I did it. 
And so that was almost 10 years ago. Wow. 10 years ago. That's deep. Yeah. And so, um, but around 2016, I really just tried to really start embracing who I am as an introverted, intuitive, extroverted thinker, mainly focusing on that thinking side. I didn't really know what to do with that introvert intuition. And I will tell you, um, I did, I had two projects. One project was I started two groups for introverted intuitives, for INTJs and INFJs. I ran that for a half a year, those two groups for about a half a year. And then I ended up uh, starting this podcast because there were some things I wanted to explore. And uh, yeah. And so here I am. So introverted, intuitive, extroverted thinking. Um, I'm back into my occupation, which allows me to be in the top of my stack. I think I'm schooled out, although I want to go back and get a certificate. I do want to go back to school, but I'm not going back to get another degree. I don't think so. But I might get a certificate or two. Certificates are about 18, about 12 to 18 months. So you can just put on your resume. I might do that just for the sake of play. But all in all, I feel pretty good with the fact that I know how to live. I know how to live an INTJ life, living at the top of my stack. That's being very work-centered, very goals-oriented, very outcomes-oriented, very achievement-oriented. I've done that. And, okay, I I'm, I'm, I'm really think I'm having some breakthroughs. And living in the top of my stack and making lifestyle choices because of the top of my stack, that even when I'm not trying to be outcomes-oriented, even when I'm not trying to strategize, I have a strategy I am producing results. I am achieving outcomes. I'm like secured in it. I'm secure. I'm secure in who I am at the top of the stack. I'm secure in that. What I'm missing is my lower stack. All right, something is coming to me. So when I was living and I was connecting to people, not fully able to be in the top of my stack or not fully able to lean in it, I think, oh my God, I never thought about this until this moment. I think I was pushed into those lower functions. Huh. And this is an interesting thing because I can definitely see extroverted sensing 
I played volleyball. Was on volley. I mean, I played volleyball all the way up into my thir- mid to late thirties, maybe early forties. Right. I was in dance, intense aerobics. I jogged. Like those are all sensory experiences. I went to the club. I, you know, did all of that. Satisfied that. Lifted weights. All of that is extroverted sensing. But, so it doesn't mean I was living a SE dominant life. It just meant I was able to drop into those functions. The introverted feeling was not as clear for me. Um, I wrote a lot of poetry. I talked about doing a lot of crying. I was depressed. Yeah. Um, Maybe church. I went to these churches that were like highly emotionally charged. Although it used to stress me out, I got irritated. I'm like, why are you crying every week? I still was going to those churches until I couldn't take it anymore. So I think I never considered this because I couldn't really um, lean into my top of the stack as an identity. Like it was there. But I didn't have a, a healthy relationship with the top of the stack. I was lingering in that lower stack. Huh. Not the shadow stack, but the lower part of my preferred stack. Doesn't mean I was happy. Anyway. So, one of the things I, I wonder now is that being back in the top and having that robust relationship with the top of the stack, what is my relationship with those two bottom functions? Because otherwise, here's the deal: like I'm, I'm kind of bored. I'm unmotivated. Like, yeah, I can set goals. I can set goals, and I'm going to set goals. But the passion isn't there. For those goals, at least not right now. Now my sister thinks, my sister thinks I'm still dealing with some different grief for my dad, and then his sister, my aunt, which I feel so bad because I don't think I'm giving her her, her grieving my grieving space for her, um, you know, because she's so close to my father. So I don't know, but anyway, and I think there's. True, hell, I'm still grieving my granny and my stepfather. Uh, but anyway, I don't have anything to prove with the top of my stack. I don't have anything to prove. I'm not wrestling with it. I'm not, I don't feel like I can't be who I am as at the top of the stack. It is just who it is. I am who I am. I don't have to, I don't work, I do not have to work hard to be who I am. That's what's cool. I am who I am and that's fine. 
But the more I am at the top of the stack, I'm not connected to people. Number one, you cannot intuit me. I'm not trying to, it's not, it's not really a competition. That's really a crappy way to say it. And why is it a competition? But I find like you get into spaces with people, particularly other people who are iconoclastic, those of us who are smart or gifted or whatever, we don't play in a sandbox well with each other. Then we start flexing, like who's going to, we're not going to do that. This is not a competition. So, yeah. I'm just not that interested. I'm just like, no. I have met, so the young lady I just recently met, who's an INTJ, who, my assistant, I love listening to her talk about her stories. And I told you guys I'm in a job right now where a lot of, I not a lot, but more INTJs than INFJs stuff worked with ever. I've worked with INFJs before, believe it or not. I've worked with more INFJs. I only had one job where I knew there was an I two jobs. Last year was I worked with one INTJ and the year before I worked with one INTJ. But this year we we're dealing with about four or five of us in a very small organization. About twenty percent of us are INTJs. That's that's a big deal. Twenty percent of my organization is comprised of an I, of INTJs. That's interesting. But there's not passion there. Although, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe that's because I'm working with... Maybe because the girl I work with, the girl who's my assistant, we have really good conversations. And then there's a, the other the INTJ I worked with last year. We've been meeting up once a month, and uh, we have really good chats too. But I think I'm desiring some lower stack experiences, extroverted sensing, introverted feeling. I'm desiring some flip living. Like I'm looking for adventure. There it is. Adventure. And I don't... I don't see adventure at the top of the stack. For me, adventure it has some novelty to it. And sometimes I wonder if... Because I have a desire for novelty sometimes. Not all the time. I have associated novelty to be... Introverted intuition. But what if novelty is that extroverted sensing? Which is paired with introverted intuition on an axis. So, mm -hmm. anyway, anyway. And I think it just gets hard when you're trying to have us, you're trying to do those things with social. And then... I'm, 
And this goes into the recon, racial reconciliation. And then I think I'm going to start closing. Because even, the, even though I don't feel like I've had the breakthrough, I'm going to just try to start closing after I say this. Because this is very tough, the racial reconciliation. And I want to be very clear. I live in one of the most segregated cities in the country. So I don't think the black experience that I've had living, growing up in this city is the same as other black people around the the country of the United States. I don't think that at all. Because I've lived in other places. And I've interacted with other black people. It's very different. But I'm talking about my hometown. There's not a lot of room to be different. There's an expectation to be successful, um, accomplished, smart even. But smart isn't even my kind of smart. Because it's not just smart, it's sensory smart. Like being able to drop that knowledge quickly. I was listening to um, some YouTube. It was just talking about how, how different functions, how different people communicate based on those cognitive functions. And sensors communicate more readily because they can anticipate what you're going to say. They're in the conversation more. They're not processing. And they could just com- they communicate quickly. and res- It's just right there. And for me, I'm, I'm processing and I'm trying to figure out What's important to me to say? I'm trying to make meaning. So I'm not right there in the conversation. And I think that sometimes doesn't translate to me being smart. Now, if which is why I thrive in situations for strategy. People know I'm, strateg- I'm smart because I can get things done. But if you put me in a conversation, unless it's a reflective conversation where we're processing together I'm fine but in conversations where people are sharing information and knowledge mm-mm, mm-mm, I'm not going to come across like that so I just think I'm it's just hard so I think the introverted intuitive me is like I said it's not sensory so I'm not connected to the world the way other people are. And then I, you have this, I'm highly analytical. So then if I, even if I did want to practice talking quickly and fast, I still have to, I'm analyzing <laughs> the situation more than I am giving information. This is the difference between TI and TE. And then... Um, I don't know. And then being three times degreed and then the experiences that I've had and racism makes it difficult 
for people to have the experiences that I've had. Why did I have those experiences? I have no idea. I think because I, I'm an INTJ and I've fought for it. I made a huge I made huge sacrifices for me to have the experiences that I had. Sacrifices I'm not sure I would make again. So, do I judge other people when they didn't make those sacrifices? Absolutely not. But what ended up happening is I have different. I have experiences that give me a different worldview. So then, when I'm trying to make friends. I'm I'm being forced to make friends with people where we don't have the same worldview because we don't have the same experiences, but we we racially are alike. And because I crave that cultural connection, I'm constantly having to choose now. So here's where classism comes. This is it. So when I start interacting with people who have my even if they, um, very few people have had my professional experiences, but I have many, many friends who are degreed, right? But my friends who are degreed, we're not the same. Most of my friends who are degreed come from middle, are middle class. I come from a lower socioeconomic background. I'm not middle class. I might, I might can linger in a middle class environment, you know, I might can play around with a middle class lifestyle, but it's not me. I don't value, I don't value converse. There are choices that middle class folks make. I don't make those choices. I make some of them. But in terms of the things I want to talk about and what I want to do for leisure, there it is. What I want to do for play, it's not the same. So. It's a disconnect. I'm, I don't do, so we can, we go to school together, we have these professions, we, our careers overlap, but we're not the same. We don't value the same things. Not at all. So now I'm in a space where I get the cultural connection, but I'm not getting the Relatedness. I don't, I'm not with you. We don't have the same worldview. We're just on the same orientations in terms of how we want to think. And because of classism, because of not having access to resources, if I had access to resources, I would go and put myself in an environment where people look like me and think like me. Well, shit, it's, excuse me, it's rare. INDJs are rare. Where do we, where do you find us? I'm in a job where I'm in, I'm with, there, there are a number of us, but they're all, they're all white. And I don't have any problem with white friends, white people. Some of my closest friends are white. <laughs> I love doing that joke, even though I just didn't deliver it right. But I'm talking about there's a desire for that cultural a cultural connection, cultural INTJ connection would be really nice. But I don't even think it's just a cultural INTJ connection. I would like for, I would love to have, here's what I would, I would love to have a good cultural connection with someone that allows me to be in all four of my functions. That's not going to disconnect me from the 
top of my stack that's not going to devalue my dominant orientation, who's then going to let me play in those lower functions. I don't want to be disconnected or devalued at the top of my stack and not or. And I want to indulge and play in the lower part of my stack. And I'm not finding those connections. So I'm bored. I'm not motivated. And I'm meeting people. But the pe- but I, I'm paying attention. I talked to somebody for the first time on the phone yesterday. I really had to work hard to stay on that call with that individual. Because I'm not able to be at the top of my stack. And we were not having lower stack fun. So, I, I'd like to say, I'd like to have some friends where I can do S-E-F-I. But eventually, after you stop with those experiences, you're going to want to talk. I don't want to be devalued at the top of my stack. And that happened to me. I'm just unwilling to do that again. So I don't know. I don't know what the answer is, but those are the things. So it's it's the darkness. It's not being able to get out and walk. And it's being disconnected from the top, having a disconnect from the top of my stack culturally with people who I share culture with and me not having access to lower stack experiences Mainly because I'm not having top-of-the-stack experiences with people. And all of this is about people, right? And so, I don't know. My voice is getting all raspy. I'm sleepy. I'm going to go and try to take a nap so I can go to the gym and get some of those endorphins going. So, yeah. I'm not motivated. I'm not motivated now. Am I still functioning at the top of my stack? Yes. I'm still producing. I'm just not motivated. And I'm looking for some excitement, motivation, desire, and passion. So I'm going to attribute a lot of this to the sun, missing the sun, missing daylight. I'm looking forward to my trip. And I do, I have been spending the last two months on the weekends really researching ways I can play and indulge in those lower functions. It's, I think I'm in a city that just, I might end up having to go back to the city I left my ex in, which I don't want to go back there. I need to be in a large city where there are options for black people. Yeah. But we'll see. You guys, if this reflection has had any value for you, give it a heart. If me talking about motivation, desire, and passion, or the absence of it, like what gets in the way, you know, talked about exercise, daylight, the sun, having connectedness with people, having relatedness with people, um, having a connection to the self. If any of this conversation connects with a conversation you've had in the world, please take this link and share with those participants. I'm sorry my voice is going. 
in my moving about has caused some randomness in you. I would love to hear it. You can find me on my website at yourandidom.wordpress.com. Let me give you an assignment. I was going to ask you, what's your leisure? And I mean, then that, that question can be on the table, but I don't really think that's what I'm struggling with. I have leisure, a life of leisure. <laughs> I'm missing adventure and stimulation. And I think the adventure and stimulation is related to me being able to access those lower functions. I don't know if that would be the case for all types. What is your adventure and stimulation? What would, what would that be for you to have adventure and stimulation? And do you even want it? What is your lower... I don't even know how to say it. What is your flip lifestyle? Like if you were going to flip your lifestyle... What would you, what would it look like? So for me, I'm not trying to completely flip my lifestyle because I'm not trying to work in my lower functions, but I am trying to give those lower functions some, some play life, some life on the play shelf, if you will. I feel like I'm not giving you guys the assignment. What, okay, number one, what's your leisure? Number two, what would it look like if you start playing more in the lower part of your stack? And then three, what pre- prevents that? You're probably not having anything preventing you, though, from playing in the lower part of your stack. But if you did, what would it be? And I guess if I was going to give you a fourth question, when have you been in an extended season of low energy? And what caused it? Those are four assignments. I don't think I've done that ever. But, oh well. You got homework to do. I'm going to let you have it. I'm going to let you have at it, you guys. It has been a pleasure hanging out with you. Until I come back. Wait till I tell you how you can reach me. I said you can reach me on my website, yourandidom.wordpress.com. Twitter, yourandidom1. Facebook and YouTube, yourandidom. Anyways. It has been a pleasure hanging out with you until I come back. Be well. Bye.